Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. Ocean Allison podcast episode is brought to you by you, the listeners. A big thank you to everyone that's contributed a dollar or more to my subscription-based funding platform at patreon.com slash oceanallison. And for those that haven't, visit patreon.com slash oceanallison to watch my video and learn more about how you can help keep the podcast episodes coming. And now to this month's episode. This episode's Ocean Advocate is Christine Speeton. Christine is the co-founder of Blue Eye Robotics, a Norway-based technology startup developing underwater drones. Hi, Christine. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, very excited to have you on the podcast today and to learn more about Blue Eye Robotics and share it with listeners because I think hopefully listeners, you guys are all going to be really interested and excited about what Christine and her team at Blue Eye are developing. So listeners, to give you guys a little bit of background on how Christine is joining us on the show today, Christine is joining us via Skype from Norway right now, and I am in Florida. So we are um, definitely using the internet to our advantage today to have this conversation and to share it with you guys. And Christine, I wanted to start out. So you grew up in Norway on the ocean. You are a big sailor. You live on a sailboat. You're very connected to the ocean. But what is it about the ocean, if you had to really put it into words, that so profoundly inspires you? Because, you know, you've really made the ocean kind of the central focus of your of your life, both personally and professionally, which in a lot of ways I can relate to. So I'd love to hear from you. What is it about the ocean that does that for you? I think all my life, since I was a little kid, I've I've always found something new. Every time I went to the ocean, whether it was for swimming or sailing or just wandering on the beach and picking seashells or stuff like that, like I've always discovered something new. Uh, so there's a curiosity around the ocean and all the wonders that we can see below the surface. But it's also like the ocean is the most beautiful playground I can ever imagine. I'm fascinated by the forces uh, in the waves and currents. And it's just, I don't know, it's its something <laughs> almost magically about it, I think. I'm, I'm just uh, so strongly drawn towards the ocean. And uh, I think it would be impossible for me to to live anywhere where I couldn't see it or be nearby the ocean. It's a bit hard to describe, but but it's something that's always been very strongly a part of me and, yeah, just in the core of all of me and everything I'm doing. And like I just mentioned, you do live on a sailboat. And listeners, I think I've mentioned this before that my husband and I recently bought a sailboat and we're currently fixing it up, but we're going to be hopefully living on it at some point here soon. So Christine, you know, if you could just share a little bit about your experience living on a sailboat. I found my sailboat. She's called Viva. I found her all the way up north in Norway a couple of years ago in a beautiful place called Lofoten. 
at that time, I didn't really plan to to move on to a sailboat. I was actually just following a friend of mine who he was looking into buying a sailboat to move on to. And I had just come home from from a great Atlantic crossing together with uh, the ex-expedition girls and done some uh, research on the connection between marine uh, litter and people's health. Uh, so after being spending weeks and weeks on board a sailboat, I really, I learned more about how you can live on it. And so that's, I guess, why my friend brought me along to look at the sailboats that he was interested in. And then I found a boat that I just immediately fell in love with and I just couldn't help myself and uh, and ended up buying it and uh, sailing it all the uh, all the way down from Lofoten to Trondheim uh, in Norway where it's currently docked and I guess it's pretty big differences between living on a boat in uh, in Florida or any tropical place compared to here in Norway, I'm now just looking out of the window and there's enormous uh, ice flakes uh, floating down on the river out into the fjord. It's about a meter and a half of snow. Uh, so, of course, my boat is also covered in snow at the moment. I experience uh, big seasonal differences, of course, between the summer and the winter living on a sailboat. But I think all in all, it's a great experience and uh, practice, I guess, to learn how to live more simple, that you don't need all the stuff that most people fill their houses with. It's a more simple way of living. I also feel a great freedom by living on a sailboat. Uh, I can at any point just sail away. <laughs> And it's a great connection as well to, to the ocean and to, to nature. Um, I feel a bit that when I'm coming home from from job or travels um, and getting back on board Viva, it's like, it's like disconnecting from the rest of the busy, busy world. And that's great. Being an entrepreneur, it's a busy everyday life. So to have that uh, space, which is my own, which is small, but yet, uh, so big in the way that the whole ocean is my backyard it's great okay so you're obviously very connected to the ocean and you know we talked about how you're so fundamentally connected in your personal life and just that magical feeling the ocean gives you in terms of your more like professional side of life you know you mentioned being an entrepreneur can you tell myself and listeners a little bit about the like schooling and experience that you have had that led you to being interested in combining technology with ocean exploration? Well, I studied engineering at university, industrial economy and technology management. And so I took my master's program at the university in Norway. But I quickly found out that I, I wanted to add some something practical because I was... To be honest, I was scared to come out of a five years master program out into the professional business world and believing that I knew how how everything was made or knew how I would work as an engineer because I felt very strongly that I lacked the practical skills that I wish I had. So I was um, I was looking into to places and universities where I could go and and learn some more of these practical skills. So I, that took me to University of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, 
where I studied regulation technique and underwater robotics as a part of my master's degree. And then being in Rio, I went traveling around. I got to see the challenges that they have with uh, coral reefs that are unfortunately threatened by so many things, bleaching, pollution, marine littering. And I, I just wanted to create something useful, like a tool that could make it easier for small NGOs, uh, small organizations, school classes, students and scientists to actually have their own eyes below the surface to see what's going on. So yeah, there was all, always this practical reasons for that I really wanted to use my, use my skills, use my degree and use my studies into making something useful. And combining that with my passion and my love for the ocean, it turned out pretty clear I had an internship back in 2012 for a big company here in Norway called Kongsberg on a project where they did environmental monitoring, actually before, during and after oil drilling. And so my wish was that, well, I hope that this monitoring will, will tell them not to, not to drill. <laughs> but I learned so much about the tools that the industry were, were using at the time, and uh, some of those tools are huge, enormous ROVs or remotely operated vehicles. So I think that was the first time when I really started to wonder about why, what was the reasons that all this technology or all these tools were not made available for regular consumers, uh, regular people. Yeah, so I, I wanted to do something about that. It may sound like a pretty clear path, but of course, there's there's all of these little puzzles that come together through my years of studying and then from studying I went I co-founded Blue Eye Robotics uh, pretty much um, four weeks after uh, my graduation so it led pretty directly into into the job I'm now having. I'm making huge generalizations here but many people go through school and you know the idea is to get a job afterwards especially in a field like engineering where you know many people will go into that field because they know that there are many jobs for engineers at companies worldwide what was it for you going through school you know in engineering and technology based on what you said about like being in Norway and wanting more real life skill sets and then being in Brazil and, and observing these things and wishing that you could develop something that would help organizations mm -hmm. and scientists. What do you think was it that, you know, was seemingly continuously inspiring you throughout school to not just graduate and get a job somewhere as an engineer, but to, to graduate and create something new and, you know, like you said earlier, be an entrepreneur? I think I've always been very strongly driven by my passions. And for me, I think uh, I think I need that, that inner strong motivation. I've seen how fun it is and how exciting it is and how much it adds to, adds to life uh, by being able to do something you really, you really care about and is passionate about. So it's all about not that I'm creating something that is useful only only to me, but by combining my passion for the ocean and at the same time create something that is so evidently needed uh, in a lot of areas is giving me a huge motivation to to work as much as you need uh, as an entrepreneur uh, to make a company. It's a it's a hard job, but it's when you have that core passion in your job, it's not like I've never been counting hours because I'm I just want to solve the 
solve the tasks and to make this uh, product available to our customers. In getting into Blue Eye and the underwater drones that you guys are developing and making, Christine, I'd love for you to describe a nice little visual image for myself and listeners of the Blue Eye Pioneer drone that you guys have developed. Like, What does it look like and uh, some of its functionality? So our underwater drone, it's about the size of a small suitcase. It weighs eight kilos. It's uh, beautiful and white. <laughs> it's equipped with, um, with a camera on top and it has four thrusters that make you able to control it. One thruster that makes you able to go sideways, two horizontal thrusters and one vertical that make you able to go all the way down to 150 meters below the surface. From the Blue Eye Pioneer, there is a cable up to a surface unit. And on the surface unit, there's a Wi-Fi signal directly to your device, whether that's a smartphone or a tablet or a computer, you will get live video to your device that you can stream or share with other spectators at the same time. And we also provide what we call a digital diving mask, which is a mask that you can put your phone inside and put on the mask. And you it's pretty much, it's keeping all distractions away, uh, all light disturbance away and allow you to, to feel like you're really part of the ocean. And you control the drone with a simple game controller. Uh, so it's a bit like playing PlayStation, I would say. And the water. It's, uh, it's great fun. It's easy to use. Anyone can, can drive the drone. We've used it with uh, a lot of kids as well as professionals. The drone is, is also equipped with the strong lights because, of course, at depths like uh, 100 meters and below, it's pretty much dark. So that makes you able to see what's down there. To me, it's amazing that it goes that deep to 150 meters. Listeners, that's uh, almost nearly 500 feet down, which is just incredible. What for you motivated you and, and your team at Blue Eye to develop a drone that actually went that deep rather than just um, you know something that, that went to 100 feet or, or 200 feet, but all the way to 500 feet is just incredible. I think it was it was always about extending um, the ability that uh, scuba divers have today, getting deeper, staying longer, going to places that might be risky for divers to go, so that you would be able to explore parts of the ocean that we haven't seen before. Not um, just risky, but impossible for divers to go to. Exactly. I think it's all about showing people a part of the world that they haven't been able to access previously. And so to go down to these depths is pretty spectacular. And it's surprisingly much life at those depths as well. For example, in this fjord in Trondheim, there is heaps of airplane wrecks and, and from the Second World War. And it's shipwrecks and it's, you know, things you wouldn't expect to to see and we've actually been along on 
on some expeditions and um, explored shipwrecks that they've been looking for for years and years and years. So to to be an, a real explorer and to see these parts of the world that hasn't been mapped or hasn't been seen, that's really, really exciting and a great part of the of the product and or the experience of the product. So you talked about, you know, discovering some shipwrecks that maybe have not been discovered. Um, but you also said that there is quite a bit of life down at those depths where, you know, the blue eye can go, but a diver cannot. What have been some animals, um, some life that you've seen down at some of these depths with blue eye that you were just like totally surprised by? You didn't expect to see them and it was just incredible for you. Yeah, there's there's in particular one fish turned out afterwards that that it's quite many of them down there, but I've just I had never seen any of them before in my life. I think in English it's called ratfish, and it looks like an angel, uh, sort of with the, with wings, but with kind of ghosty eyes, and it's moving very beautifully, and it was just. Really exciting to to see it for the first time, but also I was surprised about all the colors, especially here in the area where we're based. There's a lot of little nudie branches. There's cold water corals and king crabs, and they're all in this bright, beautiful, clear blue, yellow, pink, purple, red. It's so colorful down there, and so that was really surprising to me because I was. To be honest, I, I was expecting something a little, uh, a little bit more uh, like the surface of Mars or something like a little more moon-like, but it wasn't at all. So that was pretty incredible to see. On the deep sea expeditions that I've been on, like you said earlier, um, on the projects you were working on, they're using these giant remotely operated vehicles, not like a cute little blue eye, but yeah, I've always been so surprised by how much life is down there, how beautiful and colorful it is. And I think that the fish that you're talking about is called a rat tail fish. Does it have like a really long ribbon-like tail? Yeah, exactly. And wings. Yeah, and wings. And big eye. (laughs) Big eyes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. So, you know, you obviously have done a lot of the testing of the Blue Eye Pioneer drone in Norway because that's where you're based (laughs) and that's where Blue Eye Robotics is based. But has Blue Eye gone to any other locations around the world and and done some dives? Yeah, absolutely. At the moment, we have a Blue Eye drone together with the Great Barrier Reef Legacy in their search for super corals. I went down there myself in November and handed them a drone, which they are now using. So that was a great experience. We've also been to California, to Monterey Bay, watching blue whales and uh, and humpback whales that was amazing yeah the blue eyes have been in uh, new york i'm soon about to go back um, and collaborate with the billion oyster project over there it's been around in the mediterranean croatia spain china but i'm so i'm so excited about you know when our customers will get uh, get their own Blue Eye Pioneers, where will they be taken? What sort of expeditions will they go on? I can't wait. I know. I almost feel like on the Blue Eye website, there could be like a map of everywhere that the Blue Eyes have gone. 
Yeah, there will be. There will be a map, and there will be a, an opportunity for the customers to, to, you know, to tag every places where they've been to, and to share within their uh, social groups or communities, um, provided through our digital platform or application. So hopefully that will be used and shared with many more people than uh, the owners of the Blue Eye Pioneers themselves. Yeah, and so that brings me into a great point that I wanted to bring up. Currently on the Blue Eye Robotics website, you can pre-order the Blue Eye Pioneer drones. So obviously customers can go on the website and pre-order, but when can you know, when is it expected that someone will actually get their Blue Eye Pioneer? So we will start production this summer and ship in uh, September 2018. Okay, so in only a few months, September 2018. So listeners, if you're interested in getting a Blue Eye Pioneer drone for whatever purpose you might think of, you can go to blueeyerobotics.com and pre-order right now. And then, uh, as Christine just said, you can actually get it in September of 2018. So, Christine, we've actually been talking about several different use cases for the drone throughout this conversation from science groups, like you just mentioned on the Great Barrier Reef, and obviously just personal use and then um, like industry use for monitoring different systems underwater. So what is your vision for Blue Eye? Is it to kind of be in all sectors or do you see Blue Eye being used more in one sector than the other? Or, you know, what has the response been so far? We've done some very interesting mapping of the uh, different market segments throughout the development of, uh, of the Blue Eye Pioneer. And uh, we've lended out prototypes to different uh, groups and organizations. So that includes search and rescue, education and research, private uh, use for play and fun. So there's many, many different use cases. I see that this first product of ours is going to get out to a lot of of these markets. But then I think eventually we will have different models of blue eyes. I also, I don't envision that we will uh, focus on all, of, all of these sectors at the same time. And I believe that in the future, there will be a lot of underwater drone companies for different markets. But so far, I see that what we've done with the Blue Eye is that we've made a product that is tailored for actually for consumers in the terms of We've made a product that is exciting and enjoyable and easy, simple to handle and fun to use. And the result we've seen from that is that the industry wants to use it as well because they have a lot of tools and industrial equipment, like we talked about previously, um, that is simply unnecessarily hard and big and expensive. So by tailoring the regular consumer from the beginning, we've managed to attract a lot of the different industries. And that's just, that's great. I think um, there's so many use cases for where an eye underwater or an eye below the surface is, is needed. What is kind of the overall purpose of Blue Eye Robotics? Like for you, what's the fundamental reason why you started it and, and just vision that keeps you going that would be to to connect people to the ocean uh, to make people able to see to view to learn 
uh, and understand the ocean better uh, in order to take better care of it. Um, because we've come to a point where it's uh, it's very clear that we need to to take better care of the ocean if we want to if we want to live in the future. That's a big big vision. Um, but I think it all starts by seeing. So blue eye, we are not going to tell anyone what they shall use their underwater drones for. But I think it's pretty. What we've seen is that when people get eyes below the surface or get the opportunity to explore themselves, you start raising questions, you start asking, you get even more curious, uh, and you've, you're able to follow to follow this curiosity and hopefully find some answers. And I think by educating more people on the ocean, we will hopefully be able to save it or to yeah extract resources from it in a more sustainable and responsible way in the future that's the big vision <laughs> yeah yeah it's great i mean i love that it's an underwater robotics company however the ethos behind it i feel is so so good to the core you know uh, like you just what you just said is is so real and and powerful and positive and forward thinking and so i think that that for me is what really you know makes blue eye robotics stand out it's it's not just an underwater drone it's you know the ethos behind it is is really inspiring and positive so i definitely love it so um listeners when i post this podcast episode I will be linking to blueeyerobotics.com. I will also link to Blue Eye's YouTube channel so you guys can check out the videos from the underwater drones. And then I will also link to Blue Eye's Facebook and Instagram. And then I'm also going to link to Christine's personal Instagram page um, so you guys can follow her there and reach out to her personally if you'd like to and see all the cool stuff that she does with Blue Eye. Um, so, Christine, I want to thank you so much for all of the positive change that you're creating for the ocean. It is really, truly inspiring and amazing. And um, I also want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much. And likewise. You just heard Christine Speeton, co-founder of Blue Eye Robotics, a Norway-based technology startup developing underwater drones. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at oceanallison.com. And tune in next month to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.